are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are The Addiction Doctors, Dr. Darlene Peterson and Paula Cook. Welcome to this episode of The Addiction Files. We are going to talk about very low-dose induction of buprenorphine naloxone, also known as microdosing, rapid microinitiation, or the Bernese method. Did I cover all of them? We have a lot of titles there. (laughs) Yeah. What we're going to talk about is we're going to just do a quick primer about buprenorphine, just as a refresher and for any new listeners, and then talk about when would you want to use this method some of the barriers for traditional initiation, and then give you a couple different examples of some protocols. There are a lot out there, and we're just going to touch on a few of them. Paula, kind of just jump in, tell us, just tell us a little bit about just buprenorphine. Well, buprenorphine is a partial opioid agonist and kappa opioid antagonist. It is indicated for the treatment of pain and also for the treatment of opioid use disorder, depending on the formulation that you use. So for our purposes in addiction medicine, we use buprenorphine, specifically the dual product buprenorphine naloxone, as a medication to treat opioid use disorder. But it's very helpful as the partial opioid effect rely, uh, excuse me, relieve withdrawal and have an effect on opioid craving. Therefore, reducing positive urine drug screens, urine drug tests for opioids, and improving retention and treatment. Also, we have good data now to show that buprenorphine treatment for OUD does reduce death and mortality in general. And that data actually comes from studies that were done quite a long time ago. Buprenorphine can be prescribed in the outpatient setting, which is very important. Thanks to the Data Act of 2000, prior to that, we only had one medication option for treating patients with opioid use disorder, and that was methadone. Methadone is an effective medication with robust data to support its use. It's been around since the 1960s, but the barrier and the challenge to using methadone for the treatment of opioid use disorder is that it used to, and it still does require administration and monitoring by a federally regulated opioid treatment program. If you refer a patient or if you have a fo- someone who needs treatment for their heroin use or their prescription drug use, and methadone is a good fit for them, they can't just come to your outpatient clinic or your emergency room or your hospital and be treated with methadone as a maintenance medication. They have to go to this clinic specifically, and they dose early morning every day, etc. Buprenorphine being an outpatient medication that's a controlled substance, Schedule 3, that is indicated for the treatment of opioid use disorder, has been a sentinel medication in terms of its efficacy and its use at relative ease of use, although it does have some little nuances to it, because of the rising and expanding number of opioid-related deaths, it's becoming a kind of a medication of importance, right? We're now adopting different methods of getting buprenorphine to the patients who need it because utilization of this medication has been historically poor. That being said, patients who have opioid use disorder don't always access treatment, and when they do, they commonly are not offered medication for their addiction. Therefore, their risk of return to use is very high. It's about 93%. If you give them a FDA-approved medication, such as methadone, naltrexone, or buprenorphine, 
that goes down by about half. So that's buprenorphine. That's what we use it for is opioid use disorder. It can be used in the outpatient setting. It can be used in the hospital setting. It used to require a X waiver or a permission from SAMHSA and the DEA to use a special letter in front of your DEA to prescribe this medication, but now due to an exemption from the current um, administration, any provider who has a DEA can prescribe this medication up to 30 patients. So it's an important medication, and I think it's important that we all learn how to use it so that we get more patients access to it. That's fantastic. All right. What we need to talk about next is when do you use traditional initiation versus doing low dose initiation? Tell us a little bit about just the traditional induction of buprenorphine, Paula. Most of us are doing this in outpatient clinics. You may do you may do witnessed inductions in the clinic or you may be doing home inductions. And you know, some clinics it's kind of 50-50. What do you typically do for your traditional inductions? Well, traditional inductions, traditional ways to start someone on buprenorphine are well documented and there's lots of instruction, especially when people go through the X waiver training, you'll get educated on how to do this. The reason why we need education around induction protocols is because of the nature of buprenorphine having very high affinity for the opioid receptor. So with that high affinity, if you give someone buprenorphine too early while they still have full opioid agonists occupying their mu opioid receptor, buprenorphine almost invariably will have a higher affinity for the receptor than the full opioid agonist. And because buprenorphine is a partial opioid agonist, its activity at the receptor is significantly less than full opioids, but its affinity is higher. So that can be a little bit mind-boggling, but if you think about full opioids turning the lights on in the room all the way with a dimmer switch, buprenorphine turn the lights on halfway, but it's very hard to get buprenorphine off the receptor. And if buprenorphine and, for example, heroin or oxycodone are in competition for the receptor, buprenorphine will win. If you give someone who has their receptors occupied by heroin and they have lights full on, you give them buprenorphine, buprenorphine will knock heroin, fentanyl, methadone, oxycodone, off of the opioid receptor to the lower receptor activation with that high affinity. And therefore, you get a precipitated withdrawal, right? Because you have someone who's going from full lights on agonist effect of the opioid to partial opioid effect. That does not feel good. And people go into withdrawal. So we have a traditional method of starting buprenorphine to minimize and mitigate this possibility of of precipitating opioid withdrawal in our patients. And the way that it is described in like the ASAM national guideline and PCSS and SAMHSA is to wait for our patients to be in a some level of withdrawal from their full opioid agonist before we introduce buprenorphine into their CNS. So the recommendation is to take the history. If they are using short-acting opioids such as heroin or hydrocodone or morphine, wait 12 to 24 hours and have subjective and objective evidence that they are in at least moderate withdrawal. And I think all of us who do this a lot, we all have our tips 
on how we determine that and how we advise patients to determine that. Historically, most of this used to happen inpatient and we would observe patients and make sure that they were insufficient withdrawal before observing them take their initial dose of buprenorphine. Now, most people start buprenorphine in the outpatient at home or if they're in the emergency room, maybe they start it in the emergency room or even are given some buprenorphine naloxone films or tablets to take with them and they do it in their own time with these instructions. So they start buprenorphine naloxone when they're in withdrawal. They've been using long-acting opioids. They have to wait even longer in 12 to 24 hours, depending on which opioid they're using. And again, we're waiting for subjective and objective signs of withdrawal before they start that dose, because if they start it too early and they still have most of their receptors occupied, they're going to experience that. And there's dosing protocols, like you initially start with two milligram buprenorphine naloxone under the tongue, wait an hour. If you have any more withdrawal symptoms, you can dose another two milligrams, typically up to eight milligrams on day one. And then the next day you dose up to eight milligrams all at once and then continue to take as needed doses during the day until the patient really does not have any more withdrawal. That's the traditional way that that I think you and I were trained, right, Darlene? Yeah, so that's that's a very typical induction that we've done many times with patients. Yeah, and I think, you know, now, I mean, I used to be quite conservative and give patients two milligrams as their initial dose, wait, you know, wait an hour, give them another two milligrams. There's now been some interesting papers and there's some evidence that patients might do better if you give them higher doses sooner, if they really are in fulminant withdrawal and their tolerance is high. And they're all things that are kind of clinically and anecdotally unraveling. But I say going with that traditional method is just fine. Whether it's a two milligram initiation or a four milligram initiation, up to eight milligrams the first day or 12 milligrams the first day, depending on your institutional protocol or how you were trained. And then on day two and day three, titrating up to 16, possibly 24, but typically no more than 16 milligrams of buprenorphine, at which point most of the receptors are occupied. And a lot of patients will report that they feel significantly better. So that's the traditional method of getting patients onto buprenorphine naloxone. But Darlene, there's some, there's some issues with that, right? What is it that we struggle with with this method? And what do we find is difficult for our patients? Yeah, that is great. There is a lot of barriers to to having to wait until the patient is in withdrawal to be able to initiate buprenorphine. Some of those things are just number one is patient comfort. If you have a patient with significant anxiety, discomfort, they've had a previous negative experience, and that can be for a multitude of reasons. If you've had a patient who self-induced, sometimes they are not new to buprenorphine and they may have taken it inappropriately. And it can be difficult to try to, you know, do an induction on a patient when they have that negative connotation. Waiting for withdrawal, if they don't have the ability to just stay sore long enough to get to withdrawal, and that can be a challenge. The other issues, and this is very common in patient and really important that this is addressed if you have patients with acute pain, and this is and common, you have someone with endocarditis, 
cellulitis, osteomyelitis. These could be really severe pain conditions or somebody with acute surgery who has concurrent opiate use disorder. You don't need to wait to start them on buprenorphine and you don't need to put them in severe withdrawal either. That would not be ethical. And so this is where these protocols of doing this lo- these very low-dose inductions would be very helpful and appropriate in this situation. And any other situations where if you have someone like who's not medically, who's hospitalized and they're not medically stable, other medical issues, either psychological or trauma related, there, there's other issues that may come up where they just may not tolerate a withdrawal. And, I, you know, Paul and I talked about this a little bit, you know, even pregnancy could fall into that category. I, you know, we don't hear about it a lot, but that may be an issue where you may want to use very low dose induction as well. This can be something that is probably underutilized, but there is a lot more institutions that have protocols out there. In this past two years, I think every probably addiction conference has had a talk on this. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I don't know, this is this is me trying to look into a crystal ball and not being very scientific, but I really think this is the future of buprenorphine because why not use this method if it's effective? I mean, it looks like there are some studies that are ongoing right now to investigate and compare. Do There's a comparison randomized open-labeled um, two-armed controlled trial going on in Canada comparing traditional initiation of buprenorphine versus rapid micro-induction of buprenorphine and to look at outcomes basically, which is what we need to see, right? We need to see the data behind it. But I've clinically found this method to just be very effective like almost like I've surprised myself with how it works and we're we're trained to be so hesitant to start buprenorphine too early but thank you to the sentinel scientists who published a paper on this because I think it's really opened the door to reduce barriers to getting patients on buprenorphine all of them but especially patients in the hospital setting otherwise would be discharged on opioid agonists and then be told well follow up so that you can start suboxone or follow up so that you can get on buprenorphine and here's the number. And I see that happening around me is where, you know, your patient with opioid use disorder is managed with high dose opioids in the hospital for good reason. And then the plan is day of discharge, the team is like, oh, well, we should transition them to buprenorphine and they're discharging the patient in two hours. And there's no way that patient's going to be started on buprenorphine in that amount of time. So these kinds of methods, if we introduce them into the culture and the fabric of our care for patients with OUD should allow more patients to be transitioned to this medication as opposed to putting them at risk for ongoing opioid use disorder with all of the risks associated with it. I agree. This is really better patient care, especially in the hospital. I think it's much better patient-centered care. I think that's what I want to say. I can think of so many situations. Tragically, patients have left the hospital AMA because their pain was undertreated because they had an opioid use disorder to speculate if we had been able to just put them on their buprenorphine, they could have been managed so much better. All right, moving on. Some of the protocols 
Polly, you have two that you've developed in your program and have used quite a bit. And then there's a couple other examples. And a lot of institutions have put their protocols out there on the internet. And so I don't want to just put it out there that this this is what you have to do, but these are some examples, you know, some of the papers that have been published. But there's a lot of options available. Right. And I mean, it all started with a paper that was published in 2016 by the authors Hamig, Kempter, Strasser et al. The title of the paper is Use of Microdoses for Induction of Buprenorphine Treatment with Overlapping Full Opioid Agonist Use, colon, the, the Bernese Method. And it was published in Substance Abuse and Rehabilitation in July of 2016. These Swiss authors really described this method, presenting two cases in the paper of successful initiation of buprenorphine with this method, which they basically just described as a gradual induction of buprenorphine overlapping these patients' full agonist use. And I think if I remember correctly, one of the cases, the patient was using heroin and the other patient yes. was on methadone and heroin, uh, actually really high dose methadone. And so they described how they used, the, the patient on heroin was either having difficulty or didn't want, couldn't stop heroin. So they overlapped the initiation of buprenorphine with heroin for five days. And after they had reached kind of a sufficient dose of buprenorphine, the patient stopped heroin. And with the methadone, patient that was on methadone, they did a longer induction where they very slowly introduced buprenorphine while they slowly reduced the methadone and the, and the heroin of that patient, uh, monitoring the SAO score, which is the subjective opioid withdrawal score and withdrawal symptoms and craving um, until the patient was able to discontinue methadone altogether by 14 days. And since then, like Darlene said, there's there are many protocols out there. There's actually a bourgeoisie amount of, paper, of literature coming out on this method for the use in emergency departments, hospitals, harm reduction type models. And that's where I've been using, have the experience of using it the most is one in the hospital setting, like a, for a consult service or for inpatient medicine for your own patients. And then two in a clinic. And the clinic that I was using this is just a high risk clinic, patients who continue to have very high risk behaviors, typically have difficulty transitioning to buprenorphine. And so we just started overlapping them with very low, low dose buprenorphine while they were cutting back on their most most of them using heroin. And the way that we did that was actually, I think I just used the Bernese method exactly. And that's to, on day one, you just instruct patient while they're still using their opioid, which of course you have to do all the counseling around and harm reduction type education because patients are knowingly continuing to use heroin, but then you in instruct them or educate them to start taking very low dose buprenorphine. So we would use two milligram films of the buprenorphine naloxone product, tell the patient to cut it into a quarter or even less. And of course, this is all off-label because the use of this particular medication and the prescriber's guide is to use only two milligrams as a full film. They don't recommend cutting the film. And I don't know, Darlene, if you heard this in the, the AAAP conference, there was an excellent talk on this topic and they were talking about the danger of cutting buprenorphine suboxone films because there could be, uh, there's variable concentrations of buprenorphine in a single film. And I'm like, well, that's that's interesting consideration. I, but I typically have used this method because the alternative method 
would be using a buprenorphine patch to transition people to a dose of buprenorphine that starts to elevate. And in the Medicaid population anyway, the patch is just not an option. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the exact way of doing it or what do you want to do? Okay. Yeah. And so this protocol I use in the hospital setting and in the outpatient setting. So like I was saying on the first day, while patients are still either on their full opioid agonist in the hospital, like they're still on their hydromorphone or their hydrocodone, or in the outpatient setting, they're still using their heroin, initiate them with 0.5 milligrams of buprenorphine and see how they do. They might have some mild withdrawal, but typically they don't. And then on day two, continue the same amount of full opioid agonist therapy and you give them another dose of buprenorphine, 0.5 milligrams. So that's a quarter of a suboxone two milligram film. On day three, increase the buprenorphine to one milligram. So half of a suboxone two milligram film while continuing the opioid therapy. This is when you have the luxury of time. And day four, then increasing the buprenorphine to two milligrams and cutting your opioid use down in half. So cutting either your prescribed medication in the hospital in half or encouraging the patient to really cut back on their heroin use. And then on day six, increase buprenorphine up to six milligrams. So going from two to four milligrams, so you go two milligrams BID, and then, excuse me, and then on day seven, increasing it to six milligrams and stopping all other opioids and then escalating from there on out to a typical maintenance dose of Suboxone of 12 to 16 milligrams a day. Now, I've also done it do it quicker than that as well. So when you have patients in the hospital and you have a week to do this, I found this to be very effective. You can take your time. You don't risk precipitating withdrawal. You keep them comfortable on their full opioid agonists for the first four, well, for five days while you're getting the therapeutic level of buprenorphine in their system. And buprenorphine's not rapidly knocking all of those full agonists off of the receptor. There is a more rapid method that you can do when people would otherwise be just reusing. So I use this in the outpatient setting when patients are ready to use heroin again, instead of doing that, take a really micro dose. I think we're trying to avoid that term, but a very, very small dose of buprenorphine instead of using heroin. I tell them to use like point, it would ideally be 0.2 milligrams of, of buprenorphine. So like an eighth of a suboxone film, two milligram film under the tongue, wait two hours. And if they have with still having some withdrawal and they're not having precipitate withdrawal, take another microdose, 0.2 milligrams, and do that again during the day until they get up to four milligrams. Then the next day, basically then resume a traditional induction method where they stop taking their full opioid agonist and they take four milligrams. Again, ensure that they don't have any withdrawal precipitated from initiating the buprenorphine and then continue to titrate up 12 to 16 milligrams. And, you know, you run the risk if you do this method of definitely precipitating withdrawal. Um, You can use a buprenorphine patch by placing it on the skin while patients are still using or stopping their opioids and then beginning the small doses of buprenorphine to kind of overlap and give them a little bit of a steady state. And that works as well. So and this is off-label. The, the buprenorphine patch is only FDA approved in the U.S. for pain. And so that is the challenge that you have is when you're in the hospital and you're in and it's for it's it's for moderate and it's typically in a non 
opiate naive patient, which to, we really would not be dealing with a patient who is non opiate naive. But in a hospitalized setting, and when you're managing a patient, that's where typically they're using the patch. But like Paula said, it's going to, we find it quite difficult to sometimes use those with a lot of insurers because you're not going just it the cost wise and effectiveness and especially because you're using it off label so that's going to be a little more challenging but when you're in the hospital and you do have a patient who has a pain or a chronic pain that's acutely exacerbated in that setting it may be appropriate and you actually are using it in an appropriate setting and it could be approved. Yeah. And I think the future lies with using long acting injectable buprenorphine as a form of initiation. I know that there are studies now looking at the long acting, the weekly injectable and just giving it when people are just beginning to have withdrawal, not waiting 24 hours and not waiting a seven day period, sublingual buprenorphine stabilization before giving the long acting injectable. So anyway, these, are all things that are emerging and we'll wait to see comes of those kinds of protocols because that would be very helpful if someone's in the emergency room in with in early withdrawal or they want help transitioning to buprenorphine just giving them a long acting injectable and the slow release slow titration of buprenorphine onto their own receptor as their full agonist receptor activity slowly declines seems to help and they don't they don't experience precipitated withdrawal now there's no protocols that i know around that it's, and it's all investigational but we interesting to see what that looks like in the in the future right right and there are some good talks and i believe it was either csam or asam last year yeah the buprenorphine injectable in the emergency room setting there are some studies and they do have some basic protocols with that yeah i mean look those up they're really helpful you're in that setting because yeah. they are doing some studies on that but paula right. what do you, you do you want to do a little bit of your protocol when because you used the buprenorphine patch when did you take that off on day two or three typically and what dose would you usually start with? Well, it depends on the patient's tolerance to opioids, but I typically put on a 10 or a 20 microgram patch because most patients that seem to have high tolerance, 20 microgram patch is fine, but 10 microgram patch for kind of moderate tolerance, like, 20 like microgram less patch. Than, less than 80 Mil, you know, morphine mill equivalent kind of thing. Yeah, I guess so. 80 or higher and then very high tolerance. Like, you know, we're getting into the two and 300 morphine mill equivalents put on a 20 microgram patch. And then once the patch is on the next day, you start with the same basic, basic protocol and you just hope to reduce the risk of precipitating withdrawal. So you give them 0.25 milligrams or even 0.5 milligrams of sublingual buprenorphine and you can either dose that again Again, on day three, increase it to one milligram or one milligram BID on day four and then take the patch off on day four or day five. I'm never in too much of a hurry to take off the patch because it has this kind of a slow onset of action. And if it's helping people stay stable, as long as they're not having precipitated withdrawal, we can take the patch off on day four or five. And then at that point, we know they're not going to have withdrawal, precipitated withdrawal. We increase the sublingual buprenorphine up to efficacy. So basically patients not having any any withdrawal symptoms and hopefully we're helping them with cravings. Oh, that sounds great. And I don't know, have uh, 
uh, there's an interesting paper that was published in the Addiction Science and Clinical Practice Journal in June of 2021. This just this year, Adams, uh, I feel I'm going to butcher this name, but Mackens and Soberage, um, looking at initiating buprenorphine to treat opioid use disorder without prerequisite withdrawal. And it's a systematic review. And they did basically did a literature search from 96 to 2020, looking for patients with substance use disorder, actually all chronic pain, who were taking a full new full opioid agonist and then transitioned to buprenorphine without waiting for that withdrawal period. And they looked at some of the outcomes. They ended up looking at 24 unique cases and found that the two most common methods of getting patients from their full opioid agonist onto buprenorphine were either by very low dosing, so microdosing, or bridging with a buprenorphine patch. And they found that this method was very successful. So transition to buprenorphine with complete cessation of opioids was achieved in 87. 5% of the cases. I think that's quite good, really. They did find that withdrawal during initiation by these methods was occurred in about 58% of the cases. However, the majority of them were very mild. So very mild withdrawal symptoms that you can treat with adjunctive medications like clonidine, trazodone, hydroxyzine, etc. That I think that's a really interest, nice study. And I know there's other um, studies that are ongoing to look at various protocols to see if we can do this better. What about you? What have you found clinically to be helpful? I'm like you, Paula. I think still that kind of sentinel paper, like the Bernese method, I've kind of done basically a very similar protocol to that. I I don't do as much inpatient like you have done. I haven't used the patch a lot. Some of us have used it like tapering. I have probably done that more. Just a few examples of different microdosing options. The Bernese method traditionally is described as, and the milligrams that we are describing is the buprenorphine component in the buprenorphine naloxone. So day one is 0.25 milligrams, and then day two is 0.25 milligrams twice daily. Day three is 0.5 milligrams twice daily. Day four is one milligrams twice daily. Day five is two milligrams twice daily. Day six is four milligrams twice daily. And day seven is 12 milligrams daily. And patient typically discontinues their opiate on day seven. And you titrate up to where the patient is comfortable up to typically 16 milligrams. Long and short-acting opiates, fentanyl patches, and then methadone, which is frequently a a reason to use this type of microdosing. So day one, again, you would start with the 0.5 milligrams and maintain the patient's current dose. Day two, one milligram. Day three, one and a half milligrams. Day four, two milligrams. Day five, two and a half milligrams. Day six, three milligrams. And day seven, four milligrams. At that point, you would discontinue the short-acting opiates and maintain the long-acting opiate. And then on day eight, you would go up to five milligrams daily and day six, six milligrams daily. Day 10, seven. Day 11, eight milligrams daily. Day 12, 10 milligrams daily. And, And day 13, 12 milligrams Day 14, you would maintain 12 milligrams daily, stop all remaining opiate therapy, and 
can give an additional two milligrams up to every one hour until patient is comfortable to a maximum of 16 milligrams that day. And I think the probably the take home message really is these are a few protocols, but honestly, if you look up Microinduction, microdosing. If you look up Bernie's method, there are so many institutional protocols out there right now. They're very similar. So if you feel like, oh, I need one set protocol for my institution or my clinic, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing, right? We're we're all kind of trying to figure out how to best meet our patients where they are, take what they might benefit from in the context of their history and their current situation, and then see if we can help them be more comfortable, reduce cravings, reduce opioid use, and help them with whatever goals that they have. There is a patient that one of the amazing nurse practitioners that I was working with, this guy had just really severe chronic opioid use disorder and years, it just couldn't stop using. I mean, really, been in and out of hospital and had experienced, was experiencing homelessness as a result of his use and couldn't, had tried to get on buprenorphine a couple of times. And every time he tried to, he would go, 24 hours after his last heroin use. And when he would initiate that first dose of buprenorphine, no matter how, when it was, you know, he was in withdrawal, he would always get sick. He would always have precipitated withdrawal. And he was really terrified of buprenorphine for that reason. And he had been in methadone clinic and hadn't done well. He just didn't really thrive in the in the rigor of that program. The, the nurse practitioner who I really admire, she does amazing work. She was really interested in this method as a way to get him, just get him onto buprenorphine. It's like, we just have to get him from the dock to the boat when the boat just couldn't get to the dock itself, right? And I think she used this method and he was able to start it. And he was kind of shocked that it actually worked. There's definitely room for this method in lots of settings. And we're all learning as we go. Like they, like we said, there's no formal protocols. I mean, there's people giving talks on this at at very uh, well, you know, established conferences like CSAM and ASAM. And obviously there's papers showing that it's effective and it can be done, but we're all still trying to figure out how to do this best for our patients in the context of giving them the best care. Yeah, we need to give a shout out to Dr. Richard Andrews, who requested this episode in Houston, Texas. Thanks for listening. And I hope we answered your question. We just want to do a quick email question from this is a local doctor Hansen wanted to know what is your initial labs for your patients with substance use disorders? And you had a great checklist already. And I'm I'm gonna just say kudos to Dr. Hansen. You you've got this down. So he's when when you have a patient who first presents for treatment, he typically gets doing in his checklist is hepatitis B surface antibody and hepatitis B surface antigen, Hep A, IgG, and IgM, syphilis, bacterial vaginosis, gonorrhea and chlamydia, throat and vaginal swabs, HIV, and hepatitis C core antibody and RNA. Only other things that I typically add, and I'm sure he's already doing this, is I just get liver enzymes and pregnancy test on females. Paula, if you have a positive hepatitis C, you're doing a hep and hepatitis C genotype and quant. Anything else? Nope. That's a, that's a very comprehensive labs for your initial visit, but I think that's a that's a great comment. So we appreciate your questions. That keep, you can you can email us, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook. We appreciate it. Thank and you, thanks. everybody. Until next time, have a good night. Until next time.
Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com. purposes only. Hosts and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from the source. As each person is unique, you are advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.